Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Get Better Wellness Radio Show. Today, uh, we are going to have a special guest, and I'm your host, Erin Chamberlick, the Real Food Revivalist, coming to you live from Chicago, Illinois, and we are snowy and cold. Um, we talk on this show how to get off or reduce your prescription medications because they all have side effects. And today's topic is all about women's hormonal balance. And we have a special guest with us today to help um, discuss the topic. But more and more women are you know, being diagnosed with um, all kinds of conditions. They're worn out, they're tired, they have hormones that have run amok and are causing a variety of uncomfortable symptoms. So whether it's PMS or menopause, you're in the right place today. My guest today is Mary Vance. Welcome, Mary. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show. I'll just tell them a little bit about you. Mary is a holistic nutritionist, just like me. She practices in the San Francisco Bay Area, and she has graduated from Emory University in Atlanta and is a certified nutrition consultant from Bauman College in Berkeley. And Mary works with clients privately and has done so for a number of years. She also does workshops, webinars, so you can catch a lot of her content on the Internet. And uh, I guess I'll let you tell us um, the best website for you and and tell me about your um, online materials that you offer, Mary. Sure. I blog at maryvancenc.com. So it's just my name, M-A-R-Y-V-A-N-C-E-N-C, like nutrition consultant, dot com. So I maintain a blog where I update with articles on various holistic health, wellness, and nutrition topics. And then I'm on Facebook at Mary Vance Nutrition. So that's always fun. We get some really good discussions going on my Facebook page. And I also, on my site, in terms of materials, I do have an ebook out that uh, is called Three Weeks to Vitality. And it's a whole food based holistic detox program. And I, I really wrote that book because there's so much misinformation out there about the best ways to detox or cleanse. And it gives you a template for a 21-day program to help you do a liver cleanse safely using whole foods and uh, lifestyle changes. So that book's been selling really well. I'm excited about that. And that's a little bit about where you can find me online. And in terms of what I do, as Amir mentioned, I am a holistic nutritionist, so that basically means I help people feel better and overcome chronic illnesses and conditions. And I use a, a whole foods diet and healthy lifestyle choices, exercise. I, I really pay a lot of attention to helping people overcome chronic stress and address stress relief and emotional well-being. That's really important to this whole holistic model. And, it, you know, people get, I think, really confused and overwhelmed because there's so much information about nutrition out there. So I just try to keep it simple and they just eat real food. And I never really take a one-size-fits-all approach with anyone since everyone's so physiologically different. But I frequently recommend a paleo-type plan or gluten-free approach, and I do a lot of work. My clients helping them undercover, uncover different food sensitivities. And, you know, we're talking about hormones today, and that's one of my focal points in my practice because I specialize in women's health and hormonal balance. And then I also do a lot of work with thyroid and hypothyroidism, digestive wellness, and, of course, a whole food-based uh, detox programs. So that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. And, and as you mentioned, I, I practice here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I work with clients all over the world and all over the U.S. Uh, via Skype. Great. Thank you. Um, could you just take a few minutes and tell us, you know, how did you become um, who you are? What, what, what happened in your own life that you know, led you on that path to become, you know, a nutrition consultant? Well, my, my story, the long-winded version, is on my site, and I'll give you the short-winded version, and that is that when I was about 15, I 
I grew up raising and training horses and have been an animal lover my whole life. So when I was 15, I went and attended an animal rights workshop. And that was when I really learned about factory farming. And I had, you know, no idea really, kind of growing up in a bubble on a farm, I had no idea that the horrific conditions under which animals were uh, treated in our food supply. So I became a vegetarian then and not really knowing or caring much about what I was eating at that point. I lived on rice and ramen noodles for a long time and started to feel really poorly and discovered I was anemic. And that is when I really kind of put together for the first time that what we eat dictates our health status and how we feel. And that's kind of one of my main focal points too is really instilling this mindfulness around eating and, and, and really teaching people and instilling in people that what you eat obviously is going to dictate how good you feel and your health status. So it sounds basic now that so many people still are kind of, there's a disconnect there that I, I really hope to kind of educate people around. But that's what really got me started reading a lot about nutrition. And, and I was always interested in it and finally found myself out in California and found a program where I could study it and read all, you know, as much as I could get my hands on from Julia Roth to Dr. Andrew Weil and Phyllis Balk and all of the kind of uh, initial texts that I was introduced to really, really kind of inspired me to continue studying nutrition. And I found a lot of great mentors on the way and kind of fell into the right places. And the holistic health community out here in the San Francisco Bay Area is really supportive and wonderful group of people. So I feel really fortunate to have landed here and um, a little bit about where I have been and why I'm here now. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, all of a sudden sometimes there's just that day where we wake up and, you know, for you just finding out about factory farming, but, you know, unfortunately sometimes that leads a lot of people to a vegan vegetarian diet and it could be, you know, a year or two later that all of a sudden their health is declining and, you know, in the beginning you may feel well because it's a great detox, but it's not a place to stay long term. And so now you've kind of come back where you took everything you probably learned well from that community about eating whole food, real food. But I'm sure you're incorporating healthy fats and animal protein. Would, it, would that be right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I think I was a vegetarian total for about 13 years, and I felt fine, wow. but obviously eating that much soy, I was really eating a lot of soy, this is in my 20s too, and that's when you really want stable, healthy hormone balance, and as we all have read and know, soy can really cause a lot of hormone imbalance issues, and so eventually I, I, was, I did start to experience some hormone imbalance, and that was just about the time that I was really... I just enrolled in school and was really learning about this stuff. And so I think I read Julia Ross's The Diet Cure. That was the first book I read mm-hmm. before I started my Great classes. And, and it really hit home for me because at that age, too, I was really concerned about being skinny and I wanted to be, you know, a skinny, vibrant vegetarian. And, and instead, I, my hormones kind of crashed and I was really tired. And I even had dabbled in veganism. And I thought, well, maybe I'm just not being a good enough vegetarian. I need to be a vegan. And I have never felt worse in my life than I think I laughed about <laughs> a vegan, vegan diet. And, and mind oh, you, gosh. this was a well-researched, well-read vegan diet. I, I wasn't just eating. I was, did a, a lot mm-hmm. of uh, studying about how to combine and, and get enough protein. But anyway, I introduced, reintroduced animal protein and felt so great and resolved all my hormone imbalance issues just from herbs and and diet. So I feel fortunate that I, you know, found the right path for my body at at the time that I did. Yeah, that's awesome. And and because, you know, you and I both have a, a path, you know, most people that are passionate about this have a story like that and we just want people to know real food matters all the things you're suffering from you're not deficient in a pill um it let's get back to the foundation so i just want to go back where you were talking about um as you know a 13 year vegetarian you were eating lots of soy 
um, and that was when you wanted stable, healthy hormones. And can you talk a little bit more about soy? Why do we want to um, avoid soy? Which kinds of soy? And uh, you know, what what would you recommend if we do have listeners who are eating a vegetarian, vegan lifestyle with lots of soy? What is better? So there's like 19 questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, soy is a topic that. I am passionate about and I've read a lot about. I've had articles published in Utney Reader and Experience Life magazine and, and Alternet.org and all over the Internet writing about soy. And it's a controversial topic, and I think that people are really starting to realize uh, the implications of how much soy is in our food supply and how many problems it has the potential to cause. But um, the issue with soy is that in our food supply, over 90% of it is genetically modified. It's one of our main staple crops here in the U.S. And we really don't know the effects of genetic modification yet because we're kind of the guinea pigs in this whole grand experiment. But we do know that there's been an explosion of autoimmune illness and food allergy issues since we've been eating so much genetically modified food. So that's that's one issue. And the other issue is the soy that we're eating here is, is typically highly processed. And the main argument is, well, look at Japanese and Asian cultures. They eat so much soy and look how healthy they are. And soy can protect against breast cancer and heart disease. And that's a huge kind of misunderstanding because in Japanese and Asian cultures, they're really only consuming about nine grams of whole, whole soy a day, which is only, you know, two or four ounces or so. And they are not consuming the highly refined types of soy that we're consuming here. So we kind of have this magic bullet philosophy here in the United States, I think, when if we find out that a little of something is good, we're going to eat a whole bunch of it because a lot must be better and put it all over the food supply. And, and soy is cheap and easy to produce, and it can be used for everything. But most of the soy in our diet is really highly refined. So you'll see that means that <clears throat> excuse me, it's gone through a factory and it's chemicals have been added to it. It's been tweaked and distilled and, and uh, highly processed. And then you end up with soy protein isolates and uh, vegetable proteins and hydrolyzed soy protein. And what that means is essentially it's a processed form of soy. But the implications of that are that soy inherently is a very estrogenic plant. So it has a lot of plant-based estrogens. And when you process and refine it, that increases the, that estrogenic property. So when we're eating all this soy, we're, you know, being dosed with the estrogens that are equivalent to something like two birth control pills a day. You know, if you're eating 25 grams of soy protein, which is what the American Heart Association used to recommend, and drinking soy milk, then you're getting a triple dose of estrogen. And as we'll talk about later today, I'm sure, you know, estrogen dominance, having too much estrogen in your body is linked to a lot of hormonal cancers and hormone imbalance in both women and men. So long story short, I mean, I could ramble on about soy for forever, but long story short is soy has the potential to cause thyroid problems, hormone problems, infertility issues in women, and women in menopause use it initially to help boost their estrogen levels in it can help them feel really great for a short amount of time and then the pendulum can kind of swing the, too much the wrong direction and they, they can do some damage to thyroid function and, and dysregulate other hormones. So uh, my philosophy on soy is uh, I tell people, you know, read labels, be very careful and avoid all processed soy protein. So like I mentioned, soy protein isolates, hydrolyzed soy protein, uh, any kind of soy <clears throat> isolates, you know, things that you find in soy protein powders or soy crisps or soy bars or anything that, that really doesn't come out of the ground. So fermented soy, miso, um, nacho, and tempeh, some of that might be okay for certain people uh, because it's fermented and it makes it easier to digest. Um, and soy is one of those those plants that a lot of people have difficulties digesting. There's a lot of people that have food allergies to soy. Um, so in its fermented form, it can be a little bit easier for some people to digest. But intrinsically, you know, soy is, has a lot of phytic acid in it. It's hard to absorb. It blocks absorption of other nutrients. And um, most people fare best without it. So I hope that kind of answers your question a little bit. <laughs> Right, and then the one thing I want to just have you 
talk about is, um, because you talked about processed soy, fermented soy, what about whole <coughs> soybeans, edamame? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of people have trouble digesting soy, and so they can experience bloating or GI issues or abdominal pain, you know, after eating whole forms of soy, or any soy for that matter. So in terms of edamame, if you know you don't have a problem digesting it, um, I don't recommend, you know, using it as a staple of our diet, which is kind of what, you know, we've been told here in, in the vegetarian community, you know, soy is a great uh, source of plant-based protein. But, you know, occasionally, if you're all right with it, it's okay. But I definitely would counter against anyone using soy at the base of his or her diet. And, um, and you know, typically... As I mentioned, you know, if you have hormone issues that you're trying to resolve or if you have GI issues, then it's probably not a great choice. But if not, then it's okay, you know, very occasionally or, or rarely, I would say. Great. So if you went out to a Japanese restaurant once a month, you know, just enjoy your edamame, but don't buy it and bring it home <laughs> from the grocery to enjoy every night because then you exactly. will be... Having thyroid issues, and and it could be, you know, hard to digest. And uh, the book that you know, probably you would recommend, too, is The Whole Soy Story by Kayla T. Daniel. And she calls uh, soy the king of uh, musical fruits because it is so hard to digest. That is true, for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you mentioned edamame and, and also, you know, miso and Nacho and tempeh are okay occasionally if you're a vegetarian and, and or if you just enjoy those foods because they do have some probiotic benefits and they're easier to digest. But the takeaway here is, you know, avoid the processed soy at all costs. Okay. Well, thank you for, you know, spending the time to talk about that because there's a, a lot of big um, myths out there and there, when you, you mentioned that there's a lot of confusion about um, you know, food from mainstream everywhere. You know, it's good to just talk about some of these bigger chunks of misunderstanding. And, um, you know, I appreciate the time on the soy. So we do want to switch gears and get into our main topic of, you know, women's healthy hormones. Now, I'll just say some of the things I want to touch on, you know, which I mentioned in the intro would be PMS, um, yeah, menopause, perimenopause, and the connection to diet, estrogen dominance, um, you know, the symptoms of PMS, why is it so common, infertility. So all these things we can weave together probably by just talking, you know, some general things and as, you know, then maybe spin off a little bit and get a little bit more in depth. So is there a, a topic jumping out at you as a good foundational place to start? Do you want to start with progesterone, or what do you think is a good way to begin? Well, a lot of the conditions that you mentioned, with the exception of, of menopause, and, and to a certain extent we can talk about that a little bit separately, but, but uh, PMS and, and some other hormonal conditions, especially even endometriosis or fibroids or uh, ovarian cysts, and even breast cancer, those are all related to having too much estrogen. And, you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but, and your listeners may have heard of estrogen dominance as being uh, kind of a buzzword out there. But uh, what we're seeing now, because we just kind of have an unprecedented number of toxins that we're all exposed to in our environment, in our beauty care routine, our home cleaning products, pollution, our food supply, you know, the toxins and antibiotics that they're feeding animals that we're ingesting, the implications of that is that those chemicals that we're exposed to every day and that we're eating and applying to our skin and eating and drinking and breathing, they all have what's called xenoestrogenic effects on the body. So that means that those chemicals, and especially the chemicals in body care products, I think I, I read a statistic that most women are applying something like 500, over 500 chemicals to their skins every day, to their skin. And, and if you're reading your cosmetics and you see that propylene glycol and sulfates and parabens and fragrance on your, your shampoo bottles and your lotion bottles, then you can be assured that 
those are all these chemicals that I'm referring to called xenoestrogens. So what happens is they're absorbed through our skin or we're breathing them in or eating them. And, and even in plastic water bottles, you know, they're leaching out of the plastic into our water. And so those xenoestrogens chemicals are shaped like our body's own estrogens. And so they plug up our body's estrogen receptors and they essentially, you know, double and triple our, the level of estrogen in the body. And, you know, I should clarify quickly that estrogen, you know, and, and progesterone are women's two main sex hormones, and so those are responsible for uh, a regular menstrual cycle, and, and estrogen peaks in the first half of the menstrual cycle to trigger ovulation, and progesterone peaks in the second half. And, and men have estrogen, too, to a certain extent. So uh, this is women have testosterone. So the, you know, as I was saying, the implications of, of too much estrogen means that that throws off your hormone balance and can cause this estrogen dominance effect. And estrogen intrinsically causes things to grow. So, you know, most of us don't really want a lot of growth inside the body, but it can, you know, really lead to some of these inflammatory conditions um, or, as I mentioned earlier, like fibroids, endometriosis, cysts, um, or in the case of cancer, tumor growth. So we really don't want too much estrogen, and it can cause a lot of these sort of symptoms that you were describing, not only PMS, but it can cause painful periods, heavy bleeding, um, irregular periods, even fat gain or the difficulty in losing fat and hair loss, um, PCOS symptoms, and low thyroid function even. So, so I think one of the main concerns is just because of the toxicity, which we're all exposed, uh, and especially in our in our food supply, which is why I'm sure you stress, and I know I do, that if you're eating animal protein, it's so important to make sure that you're not eating animals that have been growth hormone or antibiotics because that is a huge dose of estrogens right there. And so that's why we think that we're seeing eight- and nine-year-olds who are starting their periods so early because they're exposed to so much estrogens in soy, a lot of babies are fed, you know, soy formula. Um, and if they're eating conventionally raised meats that have growth hormone and extra antibiotics and extra hormones in them like estrogen to make them grow, all of that contributes to this buildup of estrogen in the body. And, you know, add on top of that women taking birth control pills and drinking alcohol even can increase estrogen, um, you know, too much coffee, just a poor diet in general, the, the implications of that are that that can really throw off your hormones and lead to some of the uh, symptoms that you were, and conditions that you were describing earlier. So now all of a sudden people are like, oh my gosh, you mean <laughs> my endometriosis is related to, you know, my poor diet? And so this is what we just want, the the light bulb to go off to say your body is all connected, you're all connected, you don't necessarily have to fix everything related to female hormones by taking the pill. And there's lots of things that have caused the imbalance, so those are the you know, free things we can do to um, balance our hormones first. And maybe there are some people where medication might be the answer, but it's not the, the place to start. So, you know, the... The um, estrogen dominance thing, how, do you know any statistics, like how common is it? Or even in your practice, you probably see a high number of women coming in with that. Well, the interesting thing here is that and I, I run hormone panels on almost every woman that I work with, and I test cortisol, which is your main stress hormone, and I test estrogen levels, progesterone, testosterone, and so what we're seeing across the board really are, are low hormone levels in women uh, because they're burned out, they're stressed out, and when you're stressed out, your hormone levels start to tank. But the important thing to note here is that progesterone, we were talking about that earlier, uh, and progesterone is your progestational hormone, right? So it's the hormone that is needed to regulate your cycle and to help you get pregnant and stay pregnant. And so what happens in the body and the hormone pathways is when you're really stressed out, 
your body actually borrows molecules of progesterone to make cortisol, which is your stress hormone, which is secreted in times of stress because it sees that you're in this fight-or-flight situation and you need more cortisol to keep you going. So it borrows against your progesterone to make extra cortisol. So you're, you're kind of experiencing this progesterone deficit. So your progesterone levels start to really drop and that your estrogen levels stay the same. And so that is, by definition, a state of estrogen dominance. So I may see a lot of women come in that don't necessarily have estrogen levels that look high, but in relation to progesterone, they're very high, and their progesterone levels are in the toilet. And they're probably starting to feel pretty poorly when that happens. And that also exacerbates a lot of the PMS symptoms that we were talking about earlier, and that's when a lot of infertility issues can crop up because if you don't have high progesterone, or I'm sorry, if you don't have normal progesterone levels, then you are not going to be able to sustain a pregnancy. And a regular cycle, or they're kind of in this stress, fight-or-flight state. And when a body is in a fight-or-flight state, it's not in, a, in a, a sympathetic nervous system, normal kind of resting state. And, and a body that's stressed isn't one, again, that is going to nurture or sustain a pregnancy. So, you know, when we say that stress is, the first rung in the ladder to a lot of illnesses, I mean, it really is in a lot of ways. And, and women's endocrine systems are so sensitive. And, um, you know, because women nowadays, I mean, we're wearing so many hats and we're working 60 hours a week and taking care of a family and, you know, have so many responsibilities, then we are more susceptible than ever to a lot of these different stressors. And so that really can have a profound impact on hormones. So really to answer your question, it's, it's less often that I see really high levels of estrogen, but I just see such low progesterone levels that that, is, you know, that leaves people in a state of estrogen dominance. And it's because they're exposed to so many toxins, and it's because um, you know, to, a lot of the times if they're going to their gynecologist with these kinds of concerns, they're immediately put on birth control pills. And Birth control pills are a huge whopping dose of estrogen. You know, their, their job is to suppress progesterone so you don't get pregnant. And so when you come off the pill, that leaves you in a state of kind of estrogen dominance because your progesterone levels are very low. So we're not really uh, in conventional medicine paying much attention to kind of the underlying causes of all this, which is sort of the holistic model. We want to figure out why is this happening. And, you know, the food supply and stress levels and toxicity in the environment, those are all contributing factors here. Yeah, not what you're going to hear typically when you walk into the doctor's office with your your whole list of problems. That's why you need holistic practitioner. So, yeah, you know, I mean, you've written some articles about progesterone on your website, and I, um, you know, want to point people back to there if you joined in late. It's MaryVanceNC.com and as well as Facebook and Twitter that you could probably access through the, the home page. But what are, um, you know, besides what you've mentioned about how it, you know, helps regulate the hormone um, uh, during the cycle of the woman, what are some other roles of progesterone in the body? So progesterone, as I mentioned, you know, it peaks in the second half of your cycle. And it is, you know, if a woman does not get pregnant, if there's no fertilization that takes place, then progesterone levels fall and that signals uh, menstruation. And so progesterone kind of opposes estrogen um, in a way. And, they, you know, there's this delicate dance that they do and, um you know, if you go to my website and kind of Google around and search on my site for um, for estrogen or hormones, you can find, you know, kind of some more information about it. But, um, but it, it sort of, it plays the role in maintaining a pregnancy, really. And, you know, obviously both estrogen and progesterone are produced by the ovaries and then to, in a certain extent, by your adrenals as well. So it, it kind of helps your body prepare for conception and pregnancy. It regulates the monthly cycle, and it also, low progesterone means that you don't have any sex drive either. So it really kind of helps to uh, maintain a healthy sex drive, and uh, there's this kind of, you know, complex dance between the pituitary and the brain that releases follicle-stimulating hormone that causes, you know, eggs to mature and be released 
each month. So estrogen and progesterone all are involved in that. And then, you know, if there is a pregnancy, then progesterone levels continue to rise so that uh, a pregnancy can be sustained. But if not, then progesterone levels drop, and that signals the onset of a period. So, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. And and like I said, the female hormone system is so... um, delicate and attuned to rhythms that, you know, it's, it's interesting just to, to read up on. And I think every woman should kind of know exactly what's going on and how her cycle works. So it's worth sort of looking into. But, um, right. but yeah, basically, per, yeah, basically just preparing the body for conception and, and regulating the cycle, really. Okay. So now um, women are sitting up and listening, and men too, because (laughs) low libido, low sex drive, um, being related to low progesterone, and they've gone to the doctor and they've gotten more estrogen, so they're compounding the problem by getting the pill. So now they see, okay, this is starting to make sense, and I want to just go through this laundry list of symptoms of low progesterone that you um, highlighted in one of your articles that... They're not, um, you know, exclusive of low progesterone, but if you're starting, you know, just make a mental list here. Check off in your head how many of these things you might be experiencing. Um, Sugar cravings, ovarian cysts, um, low basal body temperature, irregular periods, allergy symptoms, arthritis, uh, spotting in the days before your period begins. A recurrent early miscarriage, like you said, not being able to maintain the pregnancy, uh, blood clots during menstruation, cold hands and feet, brittle nails, cracked heels, there's the low sex drive, um, cramps, depression, acne, fatigue, fibrocystic breast, PCOS, endometriosis, fibromyalgia, gallbladder, foggy thinking, headaches and migraines, infertility, vaginal dryness, slow metabolism, mood swings and weight gain. So I know that was a huge list, but I thought it was worth going through so that people can recognize that maybe, you know, maybe they are all connected and there is a hormone imbalance. And, you know, not to say progesterone is the answer to everything, but it starts with getting the toxins out, which are bringing in extra estrogen, as you highlighted earlier. So, um Besides, um, is there anything else that we can focus on? We want to get the fake estrogens out from chemicals and plastics and, you know, eating uh, low-quality meats. We want to get our stress under control. Um, So those are two things we can do starting today. Um, Are there other things we can do or things that we, we can stop doing that are causing low progesterone? Yeah, so, you know, um, there, there's two answers to that. And I, I'll give your listeners, you know, kind of, there, there's an article on my website called Four Tips to Balance Your Hormones Right Now. And I can, you know, tell you four things that you can start right away. But a little background, you know, you mentioned stress. And, and I think, you know, we were talking about what happens when you go into your gynecologist and, and, you, and one of the main symptoms of low estrogen is what we call luteal phase deficiency. So that means, that you're having a shorter cycle or heavier periods, perhaps. Uh, and the second half of your cycle is, is shorter because there isn't enough progesterone to sustain it through a 28 to 30-day 30, 30 cycle. So typically what they might do, or a lot of women will lose their period altogether. So they're in a state of what we call amenorrhea, so they're not getting a period at all. And that's often what I see is I'll have women come to my office that haven't had a period in two years. And... Uh, they typically have very, very low progesterone. So if that's the case and they go to a gynecologist, they're given a progestin or a synthetic progesterone to take to help boost up their progesterone levels. And I'd say 50% of the time that doesn't even work. So it, it doesn't produce a period and they don't start their periods again. So the first thing that we really want to look at, like you said, is stress. And I explained a little bit, and it's too kind of detailed to go into um, for the purposes of today, but... I explained a little earlier about when your body is in the stress cycle, how your your uh, your main kind of the way, the way that the hormone pathways work is that your body will kind of borrow against your female hormones to make more cortisol just to keep you going through a stressful situation. And 
you know, cortisol is our fight-or-flight hormone, so it's secreted in the face of stress. And because we all have so much chronic stress these days, and, and stress can be anything from, like, emotional stress to not sleeping to working 12 hours a day and, you know, managing a family. And it can be pain and inflammation, you know, if you have nagging aches and pains or if you're eating the wrong type of diet, you know, foods that are causing inflammation. Um, or it could be even positive stress, like having a baby. That's still a stress. Um, so those are all kinds of examples of what your body perceives as stress. But the more that that kind of goes unchecked and you're not really supporting yourself through that, then that's when, you know, your cortisol levels rise and then eventually your body just can't keep up with that sustained output. And you're, then your cortisol levels start to crash and your female hormone levels start to crash. So the way to, to resolve all this is not just to look at, you know, the female hormone levels alone. You need to look at the whole endocrine system, and that's kind of part of our whole holistic model here. So I really look at the stress piece first, and so we kind of resolve the cortisol issues. And there are certain, you know, herbs and, and adaptogenic herbs like ashwagandha, rhodiola, shizandra, some of the ginseng, um, and even some high-quality adrenal glandulars and certain herbal tinctures, you know, that, that women can take, and, and men too, to help kind of uh, reestablish healthy cortisol levels. And so once that happens and your body sees that you're not in a fight-or-flight state anymore, then uh, your stress response starts to regulate, and then your female hormones naturally will start to regulate as well. And I, I use uh, certain herbs as well, like chafe berry, which is also called Vitex, uh, to boost progesterone and, and wild yam, as well as another really great one. That, that really, really helps. Um, that kind of acts as like a bioidentical progesterone, so it shakes exactly like your body's own progesterone. And so that really helps if you take that in the second half of your cycle to help normalize uh, a weaker luteal phase. Uh, and then, you know, B vitamins, and you mentioned liver detox. That's really, really important to this whole process because the liver you know, one of its main jobs is to metabolize hormones. And so if your liver is congested because of too many toxins, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, either because of our environment or too much pollution, body care products, too much alcohol, over-the-counter drugs, you know, poor diet, all of that helps to congest your liver. So kind of doing a liver detox or helping support liver detox really helps too. Um, And so that's kind of the, the... when I help a woman balance hormones, that's kind of the the main uh, focal point that I take is really addressing the stress level and the endocrine system as a whole. And then obviously, you know, what what you're eating plays a huge role here. You know, you're having a, a plant-based diet and you're getting a lot of veggies, but you're getting appropriate amounts of high-quality animal protein that works for you and, and the good fats, which are really important because those are the precursors to hormones. So you know, focusing on coconut oil and butter or ghee, uh, no vegetable oils, you know, keeping uh, your oils from better food sources than the refined vegetable oil. So I stick to, you know, olive oil, coconut oil, and and ghee or butter. And then, uh, you know, the liver detox um, factor here, too, is huge. So that's kind of the longer... um, the longer list and, and, you know, good digestive function. We haven't touched on that much, but, you know, making sure that you're absorbing everything that you're eating and you have good probiotic levels in the gut. But in terms of just four things that you can do right now, there's a great article on my site. And what I talk about there pretty much is the big one is uh, laying off the sugar and wine. That's a huge one uh, because if you're kind of self-medicating with, coffee in the morning and wine at night and sugar all day long because you're exhausted or you're having bad cravings, that can really feed the bad bacteria in your gut, which um, overloads your detox system and that can, blood sugar spikes and crashes can really affect your stress level. So that's kind of the one thing that you can start. And then we talked about, you know, sleep earlier and that is one of the most important things I think that anyone can adopt for a healthy lifestyle. And we're kind of socialized in our society that we need to be working 12 hours a day. And if we're sleeping, we're lazy. And I think that's really tragic because everybody needs at least eight or nine hours of sleep a night. And that's the best thing that we can do for our stress level and for repair and restorative function at night. So try to get eight or nine hours. That's the 
uh, second main thing you can do. And then support your liver, as I mentioned. You know, do um, liver supportive activities. And I have um, 10 ways to support detox on my site. You can search for that, too. There's a lot of, like, nifty little things you can do every day, from dry skin brushing to hot water with lemon and certain herbs and herbal teas you can do to help support your liver. And then, again, stress. That's another one. So um, in your life, look at ways that you can manage stress levels. If it means saying no to extra commitments or fixing stressful relationships or um, what, you know, anything that is going on that you see as problematic, take steps to fix it. And, you know, if you're working 12 hours a day, is that sustainable for you? And if it's not, can you make a plan to adjust your work schedule? I mean, obviously all of us have a lot of stress that we're handling, but it's when it kind of goes unchecked and you're not really supporting yourself through it that it can become problematic. Okay. And, um, yeah, that stress piece, you know, the the stressed out person is like, I don't have time to work on stress. <laughs> so you don't have time to get better, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, it's it's a key factor and it's one of your, you know, top four things that you definitely can do and, and need to do if you want to get well. Um, other stressful things on the body that sometimes are, you know, looked at as a positive thing can be over-exercising this chronic aerobic run, 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 <laughs> workout, workout, workout. What kind of exercise do you recommend um, and what, you know, what's, what's happening with this over-exercising business? Oh, wow, that's a, a great one. Cause I, for a while there, I was getting women training for marathons. I was getting a lot of these women, and they were so perplexed because they couldn't understand why they were actually gaining weight. And many of them just liked running, but others really wanted to run a marathon as a goal to lose weight. And they were seeing that, the paradoxical effects was happening. You know, they were gaining weight, not losing weight. So, again, that's due to kind of a stress response in some people. And, you know, our bodies really aren't designed to uh, have that sustained amount of training or, or running, you know, 20-some miles. Uh, and the training that leads up to it can be pretty grueling. And that is a stressful experience for your body and so you know that causes a lot of these cortisol irregularities we were talking about it causes a lot of inflammation and your body perceives inflammation as a stress so when your cortisol levels are mismanaged and that causes female hormone imbalance that causes weight gain or inability to lose weight so um, if I'm working with someone who's overtraining, you know we kind of take a look at at uh, why what's happening and make some adjustments but really in in exercise, um, I think less is more. So I frequently recommend uh, high-intensity interval training or burst training, which is just, you know, 20 minutes of intervals. And that, and that can be at any intensity you like. I mean, if you're just starting out, it could mean, you know, 30 seconds of power walking and then a minute of regular pace walking and then 30 seconds of power walking and then, you know, alternating that through about 20 minutes. And for me personally, here in San Francisco, I take my dogs down to the beach and I sprint for about 30 seconds as fast as I can and then I walk for 30 seconds, sprint for 30 seconds, walk for 30 seconds. And I do that up and down the beach and it's really nice because I'm getting outside and I'm at the beach and I'm running barefoot and, and that makes me feel great. I only need about 20 minutes of that. And that seems to be very effective for fat burning, just kind of this shorter burst training. So, I, you know, I recommend kind of mixing that up with, um, some strength training or yoga or Pilates or something that's a little bit more centering and grounding. So, you know, just kind of alternating um, a little bit of cardio with some strength training and weight training or some breathing exercises is really great because then you're kind of balancing your, your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, now stop talking about the beach here. <laughs> I'm looking out at all this well, white stuff and cars crashing all over in New York on icy roads. So um, I <laughs> think that's great for those two months when we have that kind of weather. But <laughs> there well, are I do great... Um, clar- I will clarify that in San Francisco, it's freezing cold I here know. a lot of the time. Oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did live there for a year and a half, and I know it's not... Uh, you have this, like, couple of hours in the middle of the day when it's super warm. But um, I did... You know, want to recommend? I have a friend, Josh Axe, 
who has a burstfit.com um, website, and it's like the full body workout for you know 20 minutes um, or less, which is what you're talking about. We want that high intensity, whatever that high intensity is for your body. Um, it may be you know just getting up out of your chair 10 times in a row, or it may be you know running um, full or for a few minutes and then walking um, for a few minutes. So there's um, a DVD. If you're interested in what you can do in your home, um, then I'm just plugging my friend here, uh, burstfit.com, as a great you know program that can help you get there. So we've talked on um, a lot of issues and a lot of um, solutions. I'm wondering, do you you know, for the people who feel they need to add um, estrogen, I mean progesterone, and you talked about the adaptogenic herbs like rhodiola, ashwagandha as um, beneficial. Are there um, products or recommendations for the wild yam that you use in your practice? I do. Um I use a product. Well, I, I use both. I use there's a product from Herb Farm um, that's just basic wild yam extract, and then there's another product called Progon VL, which again is wild yam. And you know, I really kind of recommend that anyone who's going to dabble in this stuff really work with a practitioner because it's really hard to go go it alone out there, and you want to be very careful when you're dabbling in even if they're natural plant-based supplements or herbs, that you really kind of want to know what you're doing because I see a lot of women also coming in using progesterone cream because they've heard that will help ease some of their symptoms. And if you use too much of that, it can build up in your fatty tissues over time and create a lot of problems. And if you're using too much of this stuff, then it can create problems. I mean, you really don't need very much, and it depends so much on the person. So I... um, so if you, you know, just want a basic good female support tonic, I, I recommend uh, Gaia Adrenal Herbs. That's a great one that, that just, their adrenal support, which, again, has those adaptogenic herbs in it. And then you can use a, a Chase Berry or Vitex, but Gaia makes a good one of those too. And, and that would be a great place to start. Just uh, Those are really mild, and, and Vitex can really help regulate progesterone and the adaptogenic herbs can really help support your stress response. So those are two herbal um, products that you can use just to get started. And then, you know, some good B vitamins and some liver support. And, you know, I, I talk all about that in my book. You can find on my website. So that's kind of a really good place to start. And, um, you know, with gut health, getting some good probiotics. But as I said, you know, it really does help to work with someone so that you can find out exactly where your levels are because it's really hard to kind of interpret it from the symptoms and sometimes high levels of something mimic low levels of something in terms of symptoms. So, um, so that's why it, it really helps. But, again, you know, there's a lot of resources out there and there's a lot of information on my website to help you just kind of at least navigate what a healthy diet is and, and a good place to start. Great. Well, I um, I can't believe that you know our time has quickly uh, been winding down here, and we're running up against the clock. So I know this has been really helpful for um, men and women who want to see how you know their diet and lifestyle could be affecting their hormones. And you've seen many, many ways in, in toxins as well, and the toxins in our food and environment are the lotions and potions we put on our bodies every day, the 500-whatever chemicals, that's a horrific number. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can take our health back. We can choose to eat grass-fed, organically raised animal foods. We can choose to you know, use herbs that, you know, God has given us growing on this earth, um, and we can choose to avoid the trap that, you know, we need to eat foods out of boxes and take pills. <laughs> it's not working, yeah. and it will never work. 
That's right. So, Mary, what um, would you like to say in closing? Anything that you know you were planning to say but didn't realize uh, either that we weren't going to have time to cover all the topics. So, is there something that we need to make sure everybody hears or knows, or how would you like to close? Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, you can go to my site, maryvansnc.com, and there's you know search for estrogen or hormones, and you know find out a lot more information and. We didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about diet, and you mentioned, too. I mean, we just kind of talked about what to avoid, but, you know, as I was saying earlier, too, just, um, you know, one thing that everybody can do as well is is to get more veggies and more leafy greens. That's always a great way to provide your body with um, nutrients and minerals, and and the good fats are so essential, too. So, um, you know, by choosing organic animal products, that's one of the most important things you can do to avoid a lot of these. Uh, harmful chemicals in our food supply. So, there's, you know, there's a lot more info on on my website about that too. And and also, you know, come join me on Facebook. If you find me on Facebook, it's Mary Vance Nutrition because I post hourly updates and tips, and we get really good discussions going there. And uh, you can also download my book on my site as well. And January's coming up. That's a popular time when everyone wants to kind of repent for the holidays. So there's a lot of really good information about hormone balance and how to help keep your liver happy, which is a key in hormone balance as well. Okay, great. Where the, your website again is Mary Vance, V-A-N-C-E, N-C for nutritionconsultant.com. And um, I, I'll just also mention my website is getbetterwellness.com. I do have some resources on there for um, grass-fed meat. Um, I recommend Beyond Organic. It's kind of like an online farmer's market for animals raised the right way, as well as sprouted snacks. And there's also adaptogenic herbs, um, rhodiola and ashwagandha in a formula with probiotics uh, and comes with a detox formula using betonite clay. So it's a great place to start as you jump into the new year with a great real food eating plan and work on your lifestyle changes to just support your body with some natural things like that. So thank you, Mary. I uh, really appreciate your time this morning and your expertise, and um, it, it's you know been really a valuable uh, podcast for the listeners, and I know that we'll have lots of um, people who need more information, and that's where we would just recommend, you know, the one-on-one consultation. And both of us see uh, clients locally as well as long distance. So, you know, get in touch with myself at GetBetterWellness.com or Mary at MaryVanceNC.com. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for having me, and I really appreciate it. And um, I hope you guys stay warm over there. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, um, that's a wrap for today, and everybody have great holidays, and we'll be back here in 2014. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks.